Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry, and with that razor-sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Larry Ruttman is a name dropper. Some of the names are famous, world famous. Some of the names are Larry Ruttman's best pals. We're going to talk about a lady now whose name has come up in the past. We've talked about her husband. Let's talk about her. Yeah, I'm talking about Joanne Caulfield. And, um, you know, um, the Caulfields, um, John, whom I've spoken about before, the uh, research doctor in Boston who then joined up with one of the biggest drug companies, uh, Roach, on the West Coast, and remarried after his divorce from Joanne. Well, you know, to stay friendly uh, with, uh, uh, it was sort of a bit of divorce, and I would say that to stay friendly with each of them, because we valued each of them, was, you know, uh, a trick in itself, or not maybe a trick is the wrong word, but... Well, it's, it's rare for, for, for people to be able to connect with both sides of a, of a divorced couple. Took a little diplomacy. Yeah. But the reason, one of the reasons we did it is we liked each of them. I mean, you know, John Caulfield is a rare individual and a great friend, and we're still very close friends, even though he hasn't lived in Boston for 30 years. I can't believe it, 30 years. And Joanne is a very colorful lady and always a lot of fun so that, uh, you know, we value her and we've stayed friendly with her. She just visited her son Patrick and his wife uh, in the house next door where the Caulfields always live just recently, and so I got a chance to see her then. And she was also very close to Lois. Uh, they got along very well. Anyway, Joanne, um, she was a cardiac catheterization nurse, at the, which is, you know, very technical and very mm-hmm. highly professional work for a nurse to do. She did that at the uh, Brigham and Women Hospital. Uh, for, uh, and uh, also she was a very passionate and uh, woman who, uh, whatever she did, she did with feeling and uh, panache, is that the right word? Panache is a good word, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Elon is Sounds another like good word. Sounds like some sort of fudge. Yeah, it does. So in, in any event, um, you know, I can remember certain things about uh, Joanne. Um, for example, uh, one time they came home and there was a robbery, uh, a break-in in their house that was in process, and the guy ran for ran out and ran up the street. And Lois and I heard the commotion. We're looking out the front window down at the street, and there's Joanne chasing the guy with an axe. Okay, you don't want to mess with Joanne. We've now established that. Next. <laughs> wow, with an axe? Yeah. She didn't catch him. I'm sure if she caught him, it would have been— She had an axe to grind with him, I'll yeah, tell you. So that, and she, 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 got a, she got me from the beginning. She used to call me Little Lord. And uh, I think the Little Lord was meant to say that, hey, this guy wants everything done for him. <laughs> little Lord Fauntleroy, yeah, come like to Little mind. Lord Fauntleroy. Okay, yeah. but you know, but there was a lot of love in the way she treated me. One time we went to a concert at Symphony Hall. Now the conductor of that concert with a young but highly capable uh, European orchestra was Claudio Abbado. Now, for my money, Claudio Abbado was um, the greatest conductor of the last part of the twentieth century. Because uh, he was just a super talented, super feeling musician who I remember one uh, video of him doing uh, 
Mozart's Requiem where he started crying. Uh, he was mm-hmm. so moved by what was being done. Anyway, in this particular concert, uh, Joanne and I went together. We're sitting there, and the end of the concert comes, and everybody was enthralled with the music, and they cheered and cheered. So he did, so Claudio uh, did an encore, and then he did another encore, and then he did another encore. By the time we got out of there, it was midnight. It was one of the great concerts I've ever been to. Now, I've got to stop you there and bring something up. Uh, I don't know when, when was this, maybe 30 years ago, something like that? Maybe 45. Okay. I'm not sure what was in effect, but today, today, and in the last 30 years anyway, because of union rules, you could not go over time. You can do one encore, and that's part of the union. Otherwise, the BSO or whoever the group is has to pay all the musicians overtime. I guess he didn't mind that uh, clause, or there wasn't that kind of issue. Well, I don't know that it would. Have, I don't know that it would have applied then or now because. He was a he was a he wasn't a guest of the Boston Symphony. They had hired you know his orchestra and he had oh so maybe it, oh I see I thought he was guest hired conducting. the hall so they hired the hall but they've got the hall till midnight use it till midnight gotcha okay got it well it's fair I mean uh, but you know the concert ended around ten o'clock and uh, as concerts usually do and the the reception and love that was flowing from the audience to Claudio. And his players made them want to continue. And they played all kinds of, they played so many encores. And every time the place burst into great applause. Anyway, Joanne and I shared that. Now, but another point about Joanne is that she was very unusual in her dress. And I think the only way that I can really tell you that is the paragraph. I wrote about it in my memoir. All right, let's hear it. So Joanne's dress, more accurately described as costumes, set her apart literally and figuratively from more sedate women. She mixed and rarely matched. She drew on all colors of the palette. One shoe, get this, one shoe never matched the other. Same with socks. Fingernails and toenails were, tech, were a technicolor feast. That pattern obtained from head to toe. She found accessories I've never seen. She used makeup more customary for an actress. She would display three or four earrings in each ear. Often as a reminder of the underlying lady she is, she would wear a lovely pearl necklace. In fact, she was a show and a very good one especially since it was not a put-on, this is who she is. Now, you can tell from that that this was an unusual woman. Uh, Do they have children together? Oh, yeah, three of them. Because I always wonder if the kids followed the mom or the mom was following the kids. Well, that's interesting. Patrick grew up in this. uh, He's the youngest. Yeah. Grew up in this with, uh, you know, one of the children, Lizzie, who went into cooking and married an Italian, and now they live in... In Qatar, he flies all over the world. She's a very outgoing, dramatic type of person. She's more like a mother than any of them, and she's a very charming woman. Another one, uh, Kay Elizabeth, um, is um, a very good mother and has a couple of children and married a guy that's very nice, and uh, she's a very capable, intelligent person. Right. Um, And Patrick married... 
Eileen, who's from um, that country, Malaysia, mm-hmm. who's Chinese. But it doesn't sound like the kids were a tattoo, nose ring wearing no, no. individuals. The mom was the one who was out there a little no, bit. No, I don't know that she has. I don't think she has. No, I'm, I'm just saying. They, 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 mom was hipper and more chic in a sense than the kids, perhaps. She, she was a kid. Well, you know, we used to do Thanksgiving together, their house, our house. So one Thanksgiving, um, they uh, Joanne cooked the turkey. And on the way over, <laughs> turkey dropped on the ground. She picked it up, put it on the platter, came in the house and put it on the table, and here's the turkey. Wait a minute. So you can't just tell that story without me asking the obvious follow-up. Did you know it fell on the ground? Not until later. Not until later. Well, at the five-second rule applies to turkeys, I guess. <laughs> so so this is a character and a half. Oh, yeah. She was, she was a character and a half. And— um, and yet, she, as you say, she's a cardiac nurse, so well, she's she's, very capable. she's a very capable person. Oh, extremely capable. Like like a lot of people, you know, they have the other side, and when they let their hair down. Yeah, right. She just lived out uh, the way she wanted to be, and uh, so she was. Um, yeah. So the, I, I ended that story with, in a larger sense, the idea of good neighbors has been fading from the American scene. In these divisive times, so it becomes meaningful and relevant that it still exists and grows in some places. Hey, folks, when this um, when this memoir comes out, you got to buy it because uh, I wasn't going to write a memoir. People told me I had to write a memoir because I've led an interesting life. I don't know about that, but it sure was fun to write it. Um, and I found out that when I put my mind to it that I had met a lot of people that were were interesting, fascinating, funny, serious. All sorts of things. Impactful, I think. And you've and what I told told you earlier in a previous episode was, you know, your power of recall is really impressive. But that's when it's a gift when you can be at your tender young age and recall these stories and tell them as though they happened yesterday. On the other hand, I can hardly count to three these days. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? That old gag. No, but seriously, I think uh, that story you told about the concert. I mean, it's. You could always say we went to concerts and had a great time. That's not much of a story. But then when you add in the multiple encores and and the tear, tearing up of the conductor, that makes the story come alive, in my estimation. Well, uh, yeah. I've, I mean, maybe – I don't know what you would – I mean, I think that people are interesting and I think that situations are interesting. I mean – you're absolutely right. To tell about the event in flat terms means nothing. Right. But there, many things that seem ordinary have an edge to them one way or the other. You would have made an excellent observational Seinfeldian-style comic. Maybe you are, actually. You're pretty funny. Because you notice things, Larry. It's good to notice things. It, it gives you a, an, an in with people when you notice things. And you're not being, you know— maligning here, you're being inquisitive about things. I mean, the two shoes, you got me thinking about the two shoes, two different shoes. I mean, that's something that you, I make a mistake. I put two different socks on. I never hear the end of it. But Oh, by the way, my socks today, Oh, yes. What are we wearing today? Mickey Mouse socks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Mickey Mouse socks. Can't go wrong. Um, you know, there's another uh, edge to this. Um, I started to tell you this outside. Jordan, I don't know if we have time on this podcast. Probably do. Um, I mentioned Patrick in the next house. And on the other side, there's a young family with children, too. 
Um, so that uh, next door, Pat and the lady from Malaysia, Eileen, and the absolutely wonderful three-year-old daughter, Olivia, who's not only beautiful, but ha- is super intelligent and uh, has uh, a great personality. And she's going to be quite a kid because Eileen is smart enough to bring her up by, in ways that she won't be afraid of anything. Puts her in the pool and says, swim. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kid swims. And then on the other side, we got Angie, who's in her mid-40s and looked like she's in her 20s. She's beautiful. And she's a microscopist who has her own name in the field already. She's well-known. I saw if you if you look on uh, her maiden name that she goes under for that is Bear, B-A-I-R. And if you look at the at, at her teaching style, she speaks without making an error for 10 minutes about technical mm. stuff. She's a brilliant girl. And she's married to Eric Schmitter, who's a musician. And she's from the Midwest, and he's a Jewish boy from Massachusetts. And they got two kids, Hannah and Jules. Well, let me tell you that, uh, you know, um, I told you that these two families sort of look upon Lois and me, and this is a real big thing for us, as grandpappy and grandmammy, and uh, I correct, I, you know, I, told, I mean, we couldn't, it really, it should be great grandpappy and great mammy, but anyway, n- nobody's complaining. So let me tell you, we had, um, we, we had the Schmitters over for dinner, and uh, did I tell the story about the dinner when they come over? No, and, uh, no, okay. please. Hannah's a real, she's a reserved, beautiful young child, then of maybe seven now, like nine or ten. Mm-hmm. And Jules is is a is a is a wild kid, you know. Um, and he uh, he runs around the house and he carries on and he's very funny. And at this particular dinner, um, and he's got a sense of humor because. The first thing he did when he says he says, uh, first of all, he, he collapsed on top of me, so that I <laughs> practically smothered me and was hugging me. I like coming over here, Larry, and um, and later, um, I think somebody, uh, oh yeah. So later in, in, I said, do you remember my name? So he says, yeah, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> well, close enough. Begins with an L. So. And then. He like he was fooling around with a key to some uh, cabinet we had that was uh, an antique cabinet. Had one of these old keys, nineteenth century glass, and you put all sorts of stuff in it. Mm. Beautiful. So Lois, who always thinks to herself, "What does this kid want? What does this animal want?" So he said. So it's so Angie gets up and takes away the key and says, no, you can't do that. That's, you know, you're liable to break something. And so Lois disappears up the stairs and she comes down with this huge key from the Hotel Excelsior in Rome where her father and mother had stayed at the same time that the guy from Argentina, you know. Uh, Juan Perón? Yeah, and his wife were there. Eva Perón. Eva Perón. And so he, so he comes back with this huge wooden iron key that they use in the Hotel Excelsior instead of a computer because that was before the time to get into the room. And and then when, so he gave it to Lois, um, her father. So she comes and it's beautiful. It's uh, unbelievable. She comes down and she hands it to the kid. She says, 
Must well, here's a key. Day. Go home with this key. Right, right away, the, the kid, he hanged the key around his neck. He was delighted. So that, um, so then Lois thought, so Hannah said, can I wear it too? Lois disappears again. Uh-oh. She comes back with a couple of necklaces. One pearl that fit Hannah. And Hannah's, you know, beautiful child. And put the thing on him. So the, they they walked out with a key around one, and Hannah is wearing the uh, the pearl necklace and another shorter necklace. I mean, this is lower. She'd give away the house if you gave her a chance. One of the things that rings true when you're talking about these children who are next-door neighbors, I can see your eyes light up, and I can see the smile really cross your face even broader because I'm a grandfather of two, and I can't tell you—well, I can tell you, and you'd understand— is the joy of having the little ones around at our age, your age and mine, and then they leave. <laughs> you don't have to worry about taking care of them all day and all night. No, but in, in all seriousness, uh, you don't have children of your own, but this is the next best thing. Well, that's why I say it's a boon for us yeah. at this particular age. And then after that, they would come over with cards. We love you when they would draw pictures and they deliver them at the door. And we're very friendly with them. And then when it comes to – now, Eileen is a psychologist with a Ph.D. from, you know, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Patrick had married. And so um, she's um, – so she's really a very – she and I have a nice relationship as, you know, two adults discussing things um, because she's very easy to talk to and very – thoughtful and lovely person. Patrick is a great guy, quiet. And we never thought he'd get married. He's over 50 now. Didn't get married till like it was 40-something. He's the best father in the world. He takes care of of uh, 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 the child, Olivia. Uh, I mean, Olivia is close to both parents, obviously. But Patrick is, is a, really a devoted father. And, you know, Olivia loves them passionately. So these are two very nice families on either side of us. And I think that um, it adds immeasurably to our long residence in this house. Yeah. I mean, we've been in that house for over 50 years. And Patrick, you know, he's over 50 now, but I knew him first as, a, as the child of, uh, of Joanne and It all, it all and comes, comes around full circle. Yeah, full, that, and yeah. it was like eight, nine or yeah. something like that. Well, a man who has great friends but also has wonderful neighbors is a man with many riches, no question. You know, I could tell you lots of stories about neighbors uh, in the, uh, uh, that have lived there for but lived there in that area since we had the house. I mean, when we moved there, um, Jordan, we were the youngest people in the neighborhood, the youngest. Now we're the oldest. That's called uh, uh, having a good, long, successful run that keeps on going. Well, you know something, Jordan? I tell you something. I mean, I'm 92 and Lois is in her early 80s. And um, so I think that, um, first of all, we're very fortunate to, at this age, be living the same life we've lived Mm -hmm. there forever. And um, when I see so many of my friends either dying, becoming disabled, or having troubles brought on by old age, we're still— you know, uh, going uh, going on. I mean, not that the '90s don't bring some effect on your abilities, uh, but um, basically, we're living the same life. 
I just hope we're lucky enough to do it a while longer. Well, as long as you keep those Mickey Mouse socks on, Larry. <laughs> Thank you so much for another scintillating conversation and a one that warms the heart. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jordan. You're always asking me the right questions. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.